0: I think that video clip shows pretty well sort of what we're saying here in this series. Just get to the point. Get to it. What does it all come down to? And sometimes we look at the Bible and we're a little bit overwhelmed with all the details. And uh, the Bible's incredible. It's life-changing. I want to encourage you to be in your Bible every single day, reading, getting closer to God. But sometimes we just get lost in all the content. As we've been seeing, right, there's 66 books, there's 1,189 chapters, there's 31,101 verses, and depending on the translation, about 785,000 words. And sometimes it just feels a little bit overwhelming, like, what is this all about? Get to the point, what does it all come down to? And so here in this series, we've been trying to do just that. We've been trying to help everybody understand, basically the overarching themes of what the Bible is trying to say to us. We're trying to understand what it says so that we can go ahead and live it. We can get it in our heart and then we can live it out. And so we said the most important thing that the Bible says to us is that God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Every single one of us. God loves you, wants to have a relationship with you. All those 785,000 words all come down to that first and foremost. But then once you understand that, what next? What do you do with all the do's, don'ts, the commands, all the other books and chapters and verses, the Old Testament stuff, some of those books of the Bible, numbers and all those that get a little bit boring and and stagnant? And What do you do with all that? Well, Jesus made a statement where he summed all that up. Jesus made a statement where he said, hey, it all comes down to this. And last week we saw the first part of that. He said, it all comes down to loving God. Now First and foremost, once you understand God loves you and wants a relationship with you, it's about loving Him. And I don't know about you, but I've been challenged throughout this series. I hope that in the last week you've been looking at all those things you're tempted to love more than Him and you kind of said, alright, i got to love Jesus first. got to love him most. He loves me wants a relationship with me. And so I'm going to still enjoy Netflix, but I'm going to push it aside a little bit so I can spend some more time with him. I love my family, but you know what? I'm going to make sure I'm getting up early or I'm staying up late so I have time with Jesus. I love sports, and that's great, and I'll enjoy them or play them or watch them. But, man, I'm going to put Jesus first. My job's important, but I'm going to make sure on my lunch break I'm spending some time with God. I'm making sure that I'm, I'm letting him fuel my work experience, not just be obsessed with my work experience, and kind of push God to the side. And so, man, it all comes down to loving God. I hope you've been challenged this past week, but I want to encourage you, because I'm guessing some of you walked in and you're like, man, I'm just discouraged. You know, I promised myself I wasn't going to sit and watch, you know, a billion hours of TV, and I did anyway. I promised myself I was going to love God more than the person or that sin struggle, but I struggled and I fell short. And I just want to encourage you uh, to not give up. To not let that beat you down and not let you say, oh, well, I guess I'm just no good at this God stuff, so I'm going to, you know, I'll come Sunday, but I'm not really going to aim too much during my week to spend time with God. I want to encourage you to pray that prayer that I kind of reminded you about at the end of the service last week. That sometimes we got to say, God, I don't want you, but I want to want you. I don't love you more than Netflix or my job or that person, but I want to love you more than all those things. So God, be at work in my life. So be encouraged. If you fell short this week, we probably all did, right? But let's keep on getting up and let God do something new in us and through us. And so Jesus makes that clear. But then what? There's a second thing that Jesus adds. So he says, okay, love me. That's most important once you understand I love you and want a relationship with you. But then he adds something else, and it has to do with loving other people. And that opens up quite a can of worms for us, doesn't it? Because loving God is one thing, loving people is something very different, isn't it? Some of us would say here in the room, okay, loving God has its challenges, but man, it's just easier than loving people. There's lots of reasons why that's true, right? I mean, it's easier to love God than it is to love other people because God is flawless. He's perfect. He loves us. He died for us. I mean, he's just incredible. People are a mess. People are a train wreck. They stab you in the back and they lie about you and they gossip about you and they break your heart. And so it's difficult to love people. It's also easier to love Jesus than it is to love other people because Jesus laid his life down for you and I when in reality there are several people's lives we'd like to take, right? Isn't that true? There are some people that just drive us nuts and that's true for a couple different reasons. I mean, people are just annoying. Aren't people just annoying? Don't they just do things that rub you the wrong way? It's so difficult to love somebody like that. I'm annoying. I, I know that. I, some of you nodded a little too quickly on that. But, but I'm annoying. I have really annoying habits. My wife will tell you. She knows all about them. I'm always drumming. I'm always tapping. I'm always twitching. I, I'm a drummer. I've been a drummer my whole life. And, and my poor wife, you know, every once in a while, she so just kindly and lovingly just put her hand on mine. Just... You know, just kind of control it, you know, stop it, shut up, you know, and now I'm passing it on to my son and my other son, so there's three twitching, nervous, you know, drumming, noisy people in the house. I'm annoying like that. I'm annoying because I can't hear because of all the years of drumming, right, baby? She, you know, poor, I'm trying to help her understand. You got to say what you want to say and then say it again at Doug volume, okay? So you got two volumes going on in the house, all right? Say it once, then say it louder. Uh, I'm annoying because I'm a late breaker in the car. I am a late breaker in the car, Um. And, uh, don't point at your spouse, uh, but this is just something I struggle with. And, uh, my poor wife Kelly, when I do this, she does two things every single time. First, when I late break, she reaches for what I call the Kelly bar, which is that handle above her head. That's the Kelly bar. And then she reaches over with her left hand to my arm to tell me, you should be breaking. Why are you not breaking yet? To which I look at her and say, I appreciate it, but I saw the cars in front of me with my two open eyes. Like, I, I know, I, there's traffic, I get it, alright? And so I'm really annoying, and I, you know, do things that annoy her, and, and I'm sure many of you, but that's, that's life, that's people. People are annoying, and it makes it really difficult to love them. Another reason it's easier to love God than it is to love people is because God never changes. You always know what you're going to get with God. With God, you're going to get love, you're going to get forgiveness, you're going to get compassion. But people are up and down, right? I don't know if any of you guys watch Seinfeld, but there was this one episode where Jerry dated this girl that they called the Two-Face. And here's a picture of the Two-Face. And she was a Two-Face because she was pretty in some light, but not pretty in other light. And Jerry never quite knew what he was going to get. And, and you know, that's kind of like people, the inside of people. Sometimes you just don't know what you're going to get. You know, I, I mean, I've got... I've had encounters with people where, like, you meet them and they're so friendly and they give you a big hug. And the next time you see me going for the hug and they just stare at you, like, what are you trying to do here? Like, we're not at that level, that relationship today, you know? And then the next day they're hugging you again and you just stand there and let them hug you, you know? It's like by the time I put my arms up to hug you back, you'll be offended at me again. I don't even know what to do. And so we have those people in our lives, but God never changes. And so it's easier to love God than it is to love people. So it's difficult, it's hard, but it's so important. We have to love people. Jesus says it's the second most important thing after loving him. Why is it such a big deal? Why why do we have to love people? Why is that so important? Well, for starters, James, the brother of Jesus, said something really powerful, really, really kind of hard to hear, honestly. He said this. He said, if we say that we love God, but we don't love people, then we're liars. That's what James, the brother of Jesus, had to say. So that's sort of the negative motivation, okay? But there's a pot of uh, many positive motivations too. Remember, about a year or so, again, we, we did a series called Love. And we talked about how important love is. And we, we talked all about it, right? But I, I hope this statement that we made kind of stuck with you. The statement was this that when we love well, we live richly. Isn't that true? Loving people is not always easy. It's messy, it's hard, it's difficult, it can be ugly sometimes. But I guarantee you this the people that you look at in your life and say, those people are living richly. I guarantee it's true of them that they love people really well. That they love people even when they don't deserve it. That they love people even when it hurts. And they push through difficult circumstances. And they make investments that they see returns on relationally. And so loving people, yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. And it's messy. And and, and James says, hey, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you have to love. But also, there's this great benefit that when we love well, we live richly. There's another amazing thing about love and you know this, it changes everything. It changes everything. When you look at a relationship where one person is loving another person in a way that makes no sense, you are going to see a transformed relationship. When you see one person say, yeah, I know you did this, that, and the other, but I'm going to love you anyway, you see something amazing happen. I've sat down uh, across the table over lunch with people uh, in counseling meetings, uh, just somebody coming up at the end of a service saying, here's what's been going on. God showed me I need to love anyway. And I sit there and I shake my head in amazement because it transforms the situation. And so Jesus tells us how important love is here in in what we're going to read today. And there's a billion reasons why loving is important, but those were just a few. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here. God loves you, wants to have a relationship with you. And the reason that we think it's so important to love is not because if we love, God will then love us. No, like I've been saying already, the whole message of the Bible is God loves you. What he desires first and foremost from you and me is that we love him back and then we love others. So loving others is not something we're trying to do to earn something from God. It's a response to what God has already done for us by showing his great love, dying for us on the cross. And so last week we started talking about this conversation Jesus had with some people. And if you'll remember, somebody asked Jesus a really important question. And here's what the question was in Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So that's what we looked at last week. Jesus says, first and foremost, it all comes down to this love me. It all comes down to loving God. But then he says this verse 39 and the second commandment is like it love your neighbor as yourself. It all comes down to this love your neighbor as yourself. Now it brings up two important questions. First question is who is my neighbor? Second question is, how do I love them like I love myself? Who is my neighbor, and how do I love them like I love myself? The first question is really important. Do you know why? Because every single one of us do a really good job of determining who the people in our life are that this verse doesn't apply to. Right? We're all experts. We have our categories and our do not apply to list. Okay, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, great. Well, thank God, because he or she is not my neighbor, so I don't have to love them. Right? We're great. We all know who those people are in our lives. So that's a really important question to answer. Who is my neighbor? And then how do I love them like I love myself? Uh, that's, that's an important question too because I think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is how would I want to be treated if I was in their shoes? It's a great way to just practically think about this question. How would I want to be treated if I was in their shoes? Because that's how I have to love them. Okay? Another way to think about it. If I were in their shoes what would I want people to do? If I were in their shoes, what would I want people to do? So would you just think for a second, okay, about the person or the people in your lives that you sort of have in that do not apply to category? That's that person you have a really hard time loving. It's that person you have a really hard time forgiving. It's It's a person you've decided is definitely not your neighbor because you don't want to love them. It could be your spouse. It could be a child that's broken your heart, a parent. It could be a parent that's abandoned you. It could be a coworker. It could be an, an actual literal neighbor. It could be your worst enemy. I don't know who it is. But here Jesus is going to shed some light on what it means to love our neighbor and who our neighbor is. Now we're going to look in a strange place to find the answers to these questions, okay? We're gonna actually look at Leviticus 19. I know you all have that memorized. Uh, We're gonna look in this sort of obscure pasture that we don't all have, you know, written on our Bible covers or sewn on our pillows, on our couches, in our living room. But the reason we're gonna look at Leviticus 19 is because when Jesus said, Love your neighbor as yourself, he was quoting Leviticus 19. Okay, Jesus didn't just make that up on the spot. God spoke to Moses, and God said to Moses a bunch of different things that help us understand who our neighbor is, and how we love them like ourselves, And then God wrapped it all up with this statement with Moses. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're going to look at the verses right before God says this to Moses, and it's going to tell us who our neighbor is and how we're to love our neighbor as Now, the first few verses are going to sound incredibly irrelevant to your life, okay? I promise you they're not, so hang in there with me. Leviticus 19 verse 9 says this. Remember, this is God speaking to Moses, and then Moses is supposed to tell the people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You feel the Holy Spirit moving in your heart? right? Yeah, right. What does that mean for me? Uh, And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Now here's where it starts to hit home. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Okay, why does that matter in my life today? Because here's what Moses was hearing from God. He's hearing God say, okay, I want you to know who's on my heart. I want you to know who your neighbor is. I want you to know how to love them. So here's who your neighbor is. It's the poor and it's the sojourner. It's the people in your life that can't take care of themselves. Uh, it's the poor people. It's, it's the people that don't have the resources that you and I have. And so listen, the poor are your neighbor. Well, how do you love them like you love yourself? Well, how would you love yourself? You make sure your needs are taken care of. You make sure you have what you need and you have what your family needs. And so, you know, part of the heartbeat of you and I as followers of Jesus or people who are looking into this and exploring being a follower of Jesus is that we have to love the poor. And that's why we have the Save a Life bucket. But that's also why we go out on the homeless ministry. And you know what? If you can't make it this Saturday, that's okay. There's plenty of opportunities. Every month going forward, we're going to do this. I actually can't make it this Saturday for several different reasons. But... Being there, setting a Saturday aside, saying, hey, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to serve those that are in need. Moses uh, hearing from God, hey, this is my heart. This is my heart, that you care for the poor. The other word we find here is the sojourner. That's not a word I've ever, really, ever probably used in my life, you know. But what it means is it's a new person or a person who kind of travels around a lot. And so the new people that pop up in our lives, that pop up in our church, are our neighbors, uh, this is who God was talking to Moses about. This is who we're supposed to love as ourself. And so let me just ask you a question. You know, this, this has like some real power to it. Who are the people in your life that are new to your environment? Because God has put them there so you can make a difference in their life. God's put you there so you can reach out. There's something about somebody who's new that's very unique. Because, uh, you know, think about walking into your workplace for the first time, kind of feeling nervous and uneasy. Am I going to make friends here? How am I going to do here? Moving into a new house in your neighborhood. Moving into your school. These are people that God's placed in our life to love well. To love like we love ourselves. Uh, Think about this in the church context. These are the people that walk in for the first time. Remember the first time you walked in the church? Walked in, you're nervous, you didn't know anybody, you're hoping you're going to meet somebody. You're like, who's this ball guy and why is there fog on the stage? Like, what's going on in here? And man, I just wonder if maybe somebody reached out to you. Somebody made you feel at home. Somebody made you feel loved. Years ago, Kelly and I went to a church in New York City, this huge church, thousands of people, Um, good preacher, uh, good band. wasn't quite my style, but good music. And the thing that stands out to me, though, was the guy sitting in the row behind us. Because at the greeting, you know how we do the greeting after the worship? They did it too. And this guy greeted us, thanked us for coming, wanted us to feel at home. Then, after the message, after the service was over, Kelly and I went up to the front just to get some prayer from the pastor. And um, so we were up there for probably about 15, 20 minutes, waiting for other people to be prayed for and then getting up there. And, And as we left, do you know who was waiting for us? The guy in the row behind us. He wanted to make sure we felt at home. He wanted to make sure that it wasn't just like a one time little handshake greeting. It was like, hey, how are you guys? And who are you? And where are you from? And He was just the nicest guy, and I just remember my experience at that church being great because of this one guy who wasn't on staff, who wasn't a volunteer, I don't even think. He was just the guy who was at church that day who was going to love some new people like he loved himself. I just think that's such power. I'm so proud of some of you guys as I, I see you shake somebody's hand that's there for the first time, or maybe just somebody you haven't met before. And so in this context, in the church, your neighbor it's just the sojourner, it's the new person, it's the person that might even only be here for a season, a college student, or someone that's just here for a time that we're to love really, really well. And so the poor person, the sojourner, are your neighbor. Verse 11, we find out a little bit more about who our neighbor is and how to, how to treat them. Uh, it says this in verse 11, you shall not steal, and you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. Okay, so the one another is our clue here, that's who our neighbor is. God's talking to Moses, and Moses is going to tell who, what God was saying, the Israelites. And so the one another here are the people from our country and also other followers of God. And so this is about us in the room, and it's about us out of the room. He says, hey, don't lie to each other. Be truthful. Be honest. Don't deal falsely with each other. Don't steal from one another. And then in verse 12, he says this, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Okay, now when it talks about you know, profanity or swearing by a name falsely. This isn't God saying, hey, uh, don't just uh, not say my name when you stub your toe in the middle of the night going to the bathroom, okay? What he's saying here is, don't say, I swear before God that I'm going to do so and so, and then not do it. He's saying, hey, when it comes to one another and you're dealing with each other, be a person of your word. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. You say you're going to do something, do it. And if you can't for some reason, then you figure out a way to make up for it. But don't be flaky, you know? Make sure that even if you can't, for some reason, follow through on what you're supposed to do, figure out a way to follow through on it later on in even maybe a better and greater way. And so treat each other in that way. Uh, Next he goes on, he says, verse uh, 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Okay, now this is talking about your literal neighbor, the person who lives in the street that you live on, Okay. Now, we don't really maybe know how to oppress our neighbors like they would back in the old day. You know, it's not like we have authority over our neighbors. But just think about this for a second. Let's just say your neighbor plays music till midnight every night. And then they come to your house. And they say, hey, we need you and all the other neighbors around us to sign this waiver so we can put a fence up on our yard, the town for whatever reason, is requiring it. And you look back and say, you know what? You play your music pretty loud. I don't think I'm going to sign that waiver. That's kind of like oppressing your neighbor, isn't it? Just think about how do you treat your neighbor? How do you treat your neighbor? Not just don't oppress them, but be a light to them. It's love them well. It's, it's pray for them. It's invite them to church. It's serve them well. I mean, just think about it. If, if I was not a follower of Jesus and my neighbors knew about Jesus, I would want them to tell me about Jesus. And so if I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself, then i got to be a light in my neighborhood. So we've seen it's the poor and it's the sojourner and it's each other and it's the people in our country and it's our literal neighbors. Then it goes on and says, the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. What's this verse talking about? It's talking about the people that we work with, the people that we hire. Maybe we hire them to work at our house or maybe we work with them at our job or maybe it's our boss or our employee. He's saying, hey, do right by the people that you work with and you do by. So your co-workers are your neighbor. Your boss is your neighbor. Your employees are your neighbor that we love as we love ourselves. The next part, verse 14, says this, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So what is this verse talking about? Who's our neighbor? It's people in difficult physical situations, people maybe who can't care for themselves. It's the deaf, it's the blind, it's people who are suffering physically. And we're to love them well. And I was trying to think of a practical application of this here. And I think one that might be close, and I know this is on the heart of God, is, is something like this. In CenterEach, my stepmom runs a pregnancy center, a pregnancy crisis center called SoundView. And she works with women who are suffering in a pregnancy, they're not sure if they want to keep the baby or not. But they are struggling. And they're um, making a a decision. Either I'm going to abort the baby or I'm going to keep this child. And they're suffering physically and emotionally and financially. And they're in a tough spot. But you think about this unborn child that can't care for its own needs. It doesn't have a voice. And here are these women that come around this woman and and this child in this womb. And they begin to provide counseling, they're doing free sonograms, they're providing some medical care, and they're counseling and talking and, and trying to convince this young woman to have this child. They're, they're gonna provide diapers, they're gonna provide care, they're gonna try and help find a placement for the child if, if the, this woman can't care for them. And I just thought, man, that's a practical need. And some of you walk in here every week, and you're like, I don't really wanna be a greeter, I don't wanna run sound or lights, I don't wanna work with the kids, no, I really don't wanna work with the kids. But some of you would say that. Moves my heart. To be an advocate like that. And you know what? Soundview needs volunteers and they need finances and to give toward that or to serve there might just be how you can love someone who's in physical need, both the mom and this unborn child. And So I don't know, maybe that's a spark for some of you guys. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. Now listen, sometimes in the world we live in, we end up in court, okay? This does not mean we can't ever go to court. What this does mean though, what God was saying to Moses to tell the people was, "Guys, come on, you're followers of are followers of God. You're 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 the nation of Israel. Don't don't be doing things behind each other's back and stabbing each other in the back and doing each other wrong in court. And you know, just think about this for a second. First off, who is the neighbor that God's talking about here? Well, when you end up in court, who are you in court with? Not your best friend, right?" I never took my best friend to court. Never been taken to court by my best friend. Who takes you to court? Your enemy, probably. Right? I mean, business is different, but personal—probably the person that you least least like on this earth. And here's God saying, "Hey, they're your neighbor, even your enemy is your neighbor." Remember, somebody asked Jesus, "Who's my neighbor?" And he tells this whole story. And basically, the point of it was the person that you're least likely to love. The person that you like the least, the person that may like you the least, the, peop- the person that's kind of your rival, they're your neighbor too. And we're going to love them as we love ourselves. He says this, You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And so what he's saying here is, hey, be fair whether you're dealing with rich people or poor people. They're all your neighbor. Be fair. Be right. Don't think the rich are above you, and so forget them. Don't think the low or, or the poor or beneath you or low. Treat everybody fairly. Verse 16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. And if you look at the Hebrew for that word neighbor, it actually means an associate. An associate. So this isn't like the guy who lives next door to me. This is just someone I know. He's saying, hey, let's not slander them. See, here in these verses, what we're finding out over and over again is who our neighbor are and how to treat them who our neighbor is, how to treat them. So it's the rich and it's the poor and it's in our associates and it's our enemies and it's our physical neighbors and the people who live in our country and it's other followers of God and it's those who don't have a voice to speak up for themselves and are suffering physically and it's all these different people. And then verse 17, he says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. So now we're bringing family in and we're bringing close people in. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. And look how we're to treat you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. So what's the practical application here? He says, okay, your brother, the people that you're, you're with and close with, don't bear a grudge. Don't hold a grievance. Don't take revenge on them. Just think about this for a second. If I'm going to treat my neighbor as I treat myself, then how am I going to forgive them? Well, I forgive myself pretty quickly when I make a mistake. I don't know about you, Right? I mean, you know, somebody brings up something that I did last week. I'm like, that's old news. Come on, seriously? You're bringing that up? But some of us are hanging on to grudge from something that happened 20 years ago. We forgive ourselves quickly. We should forgive others too. Listen to what Tom Constable says. We often wrong ourselves, but we soon forgive ourselves those wrongs. Right? So if I'm going to love my neighbor like I love myself, I'm going to forgive my neighbor, my spouse, my coworker, my enemy, like I do all these things for myself. I'm going to do that pretty quickly then. Some of you guys may have heard um, about a month ago, a woman named Ingrid Williams was in a car accident. Her husband, Monty Williams, is uh, an NBA coach. And she was driving in the car with three of her, three of her five kids. A uh, man, or actually it was a woman, I can't remember who it was, somebody drove across the lane and hit their car head on going about 92 miles an hour. The three kids were okay, but Ingrid lost her life. And so here's uh, this NBA coach, Monty, with these five kids, just lost, lost his young wife. The kids are young, I want to say between five and teenagers. And Monty Williams has this public spotlight now, and, and everyone's playing. So if you watch Sports Center, you saw this. Everybody's playing what Monty Williams said at his wife's funeral. Because here's a man who's lost his wife, and listen to what he says. He's a strong Christian. Listen to what he says. Everybody's praying for my family, which is right. But let us not forget there are two people in this situation, and that family needs prayer as well. The driver of the other car passed away as well. We have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard, very hard. That was tough, but we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. We as a group, Brothers United in unity, should be praying for that family because they are grieving as well. What is that? That's that radical love that transforms. There's a man who just lost his wife, the mother of his five young kids, and he's saying, hey, it's not just about me. It's not just about me losing my wife. That family lost their wife. You might say, yeah, but but she. it was her fault. It was the other driver's fault. Yeah, but we're going to forgive. We're going to not hold a grudge. We're going to love them like we'd want to be loved. If it was us and we just lost a loved one in a car accident and it was their fault, how would we want to be loved? How would we want to be forgiven? You know, I think some, some of us have suffered and, and we've been wronged in some pretty big ways. But you look at something like that and you're like, wow, let me just... Put it all in the light, man. Let, let me weigh this out. Here's a man able to forgive, and I've been wrong in ways much less than that. I can't hold on to unforgiveness. I can't hold on to a grudge. I've got to love like I'd want to be loved. If I was in their shoes, what would I want other people to do? And then we get to the famous verse. God says this to Moses after telling us who our neighbor is and how to treat them. He says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And that was that famous verse that Jesus quoted. It's the most quoted verse from the Old Testament. That verse right there. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Moses has helped us to see who our neighbor is and helped us to see how we're to treat Our neighbor. And maybe today you're going, Doug, I got to be honest. I feel like this is a little overwhelming because I feel like the people that are my neighbor is kind of a broad group. I feel like you brought up all these different groups of people. And that's exactly right. The truth is your neighbor is everyone. Which means, and this is so important, there's no one on that does not apply to list. There is no one. On the list of people that that verse, love your neighbor as yourself, does not carry weight. And so who do you have on that list? Who do you keep in that spot that says that verse doesn't apply to them? Forgiveness that I've received doesn't apply to those people. I'm just going to hold them in that spot and I'm perfectly right in doing so. Now see, God's showing us very clearly through Moses and through then Jesus, re quoting Moses, that we got to love our neighbor as ourselves, and our neighbor is literally everyone. And I want to encourage you, okay? Because some of you, like I said last week, you think about loving God, and you know you're just not where you should be, and you're like, I, I want to love God, but I want I want to love even, I want even more desire to love God. And some of you here today are saying, Doug, I have to be honest. There's nothing in me that wants to love a person. There's nothing in me that wants to be able to just unconditionally forgive or love or do what I've got to do. And so, great, then we go to God and we say, God, I'm going to be real with you. I hate that person. I can't stand that person. God, fill me with love for that person. That's a prayer God's going to answer. If he's saying it's the second most important thing that there is, then he is going to fill your heart with love for a person that you right now hate. He's not going to call you to do something and then not empower you to do it. And let me just encourage you, because some of you are saying, "Doug, what you're asking me to do is a big deal, though, because somebody physically abused me or sexually abused me." So now you're saying, "Forgive them and love them and like welcome back into my life, open arms." And no, not necessarily. You can love and forgive at a distance if you have to to be safe. This doesn't mean we just let people always constantly come back in, do the same thing over a billion times. But you can genuinely love and forgive with boundaries, so that it doesn't keep on happening over and over again. The pastor spoke a few weeks ago and he brought up that, that idea that sometimes uh, when we don't forgive, it's like we drink poison and expect the other person to die, right? And so man, the best thing we could do is forgive, is love, even those who have wronged us so deeply. So Jesus quotes what God said to Moses and then he says this in Matthew twenty-two forty. Remember this from last week? All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What's he saying? It all comes down to this. It all comes down to loving people. It all comes down to loving others. And so, sum up the whole Bible in three phrases. God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. It all comes down then to loving God, first and foremost. And secondly, it comes down to loving others. Love God, love others. He loves us, first and foremost. It's all built on that. And then we, out of love and gratitude, love God and love others. Just think for a second. Think about how powerful love is. You see, loving others like we love ourselves plays itself out in really big ways and in also the day-to-day mundane stuff. Think about it. Why was British and American slavery ended? Because a few people decided to love others like they love themselves. You know, the big names in the British uh, abolition movement were John Newton and William Wilberforce. John Newton actually was A sailor on a ship that took slaves from one location to another. God came into his life and he had his eyes open. He couldn't believe that he was involved in this. And and he then became a voice to end slavery in Britain. He impacted William Wilberforce who spent his life. He died three days after the laws were passed in Britain to abolish slavery. William Wilberforce, John Newton loved Jesus and they said, this has to move me and it transformed Britain, which eventually would have an impact on what happened here in America as well. Love did that. Love that that didn't make sense. John Newton and William Wilberforce didn't know these men, and yet they said, these are my neighbors. They're suffering. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to go out of my way to change life. Some of you guys know what Love 146 is. It's an organization that is ending right now to end uh, the sex trafficking around the world, and they're doing a great work, and Rob Morris spoke here, who's the president of that uh, foundation a couple years ago, and, and here's a, again a guy who just couldn't sit by. He had to love his neighbor, these, these kids, like he loved himself. And so, love transforms everything. And we're inspired by those big stories, those, those, those stories like that guy, Monty Williams, and, and these others. But what about the day to day stuff? What if we were to love our spouse like we love ourselves? That's, that's where it hits home. What if we were to love our children? What if we love our parents? What if we love our siblings like we love ourselves? What if we walked into our office this week and said, if I was in their shoes, what would I want them to do? What would I want others to do? How would I want to be treated? How would I want to be loved? What if we took that to our schools? What if we took that to our literal neighborhoods? What if we begin to think about the poor and the new person that way? What could God do? How could he use us? What lives would be change and so I want you to think about that person that you're maybe having the biggest conflict with right now and I want you to realize that this verse applies to them it's difficult it's hard but this verse is not off limits from anybody there's no categories there's no people we can kind of keep in that box that says nope I don't have to love them like I love myself and I want you to think about this for a second the only reason that this is possible is because someone did this for us right because Jesus lived this out perfectly. He loved you and me like he would love himself. He saw us dying and broken in sin, and he got on a cross in our place. And so we have the ultimate example in our Savior who loved us. And so it all comes down to this. It all comes down to loving others. So what will you do this week to love someone radically? Maybe it's apologizing to somebody. Maybe it's forgiving somebody. Maybe it's talking to the new guy or girl at work this week. Maybe it's stopping somebody after church today, shaking their hand, thanking them for being here. Maybe it's making that a habit. Maybe it's figuring out uh, if you can make a, a homeless outreach in the near future. Maybe it's giving some money to save a life bucket to a local need. Maybe it's volunteering over at Soundview Pregnancy and Center Each. I don't know what it is, but I know that we can love radically inside our homes, outside our homes, inside these church walls, and outside these church walls. And if we do, we will be followers of Jesus like he desires. We'll be the real thing. You know, that's the indicator in the New Testament. You know a Christian because they love so well. Not perfectly. We'll fall short. But they love so well. That's how you know they're the real thing. Because they're like their Savior. And we'll live richly. And we'll see lives changed. Who? I mean, I don't think John Newton or William Wilberforce thought, hey, we're ending slavery right now. But it was just day after day decision to do the right thing, to love their neighbor as their self. My birthday was a few weeks ago, and I said to my kids on the morning of my birthday, I said, you know, and I have great kids. They're incredible. They're so much fun, and they're so good. But I just said to them, you know, the best gift you could give me today is just love each other really well. Let's, let's have a great day. Let's have fun. Let's get along well. And me as a dad, that was the best gift they could give me, more than a present or just whatever. Just love each other well. And I think the same is true for our Heavenly Father. I think he looks at us and says, the best gift you could give me. Yeah, love me first. But after that, love each other well. Because it all comes down to this. Let's pray. So, Lord, we are just so grateful to you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to respond to what you've done for us, God. That we have this great example in Jesus of one who loves us so much and loved us so selflessly. We thank you, God. God, I just pray for help now, God. And like I said, some of us in the room, we just need to pray for love because we don't have it in us to love somebody that we need to love, God. There's somebody on that does not apply to list that we need to take off that thing today. And we need to love them. We need to forgive. We need to reach out. We need to shine a light. We need to whatever you call us to do in that situation. So help us, God. Maybe we don't want to love somebody, but we want to to love somebody. We want to want that desire. We want to want that passion in our heart, God. So if it's not there, would you place it in us? If you're a follower of Jesus, would you think about that person that you're struggling to love? Or would you think about that, that thing you know you need to do this week to love radically? I would just encourage you, don't walk out of here without a tangible idea of this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to try and serve that neighbor this week. This is how I'm going to try and love that co-worker and be patient with them this week. This is how I'm going to try to love somebody in my school this week. This is how I'm going to go home today. I'm going to love and serve my spouse or my kids or my parents or my siblings differently. Ask God. He's going to answer that prayer. This is a prayer you can know God's going to show up and fill you with his, his power to live out. If you're not a follower of Jesus you want to put your trust in him today, you can just pray something like this. Jesus, thank you for loving me in a way that made no sense. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place, for removing my sin. Would you show me how real you are, God? And would you help me to both love you and love others in your name?